And we are live here on Facebook for this week's episode of Balls and Sticks, the podcast. Um, just me, Rich, this weekend, as Mike is taking the week off. But uh, we hope to have him back next week with hopefully some big news to share. Uh, but anywho, um, changes to this week, in addition to not having Mike on the air with me, this will be what I like to call an unplugged week. No sound effects, no and no live intro or outro uh, music. So we'll just go ahead and get on with the show. Um, as the reason that we can't have those is because Mike controls all of those as he has the fancy tech equipment down in Esterville. While I just have my MacBook computer. So anywho, We'll go ahead and get started with the show here. So this week's poll question was in our movie tournament was Miracle versus Cool Runnings, which was a seven to 10 matchup. And it was a very close matchup this week as Miracle won seven to six. Um, I voted with Miracle and looking at the vote rundowns of who view, who voted for who. Mike went with Cool Runnings. So I, with Mike not here to say why he voted for Cool Runnings over Miracle, you just get my opinion on Miracle. And I think Miracle is the better movie. And interestingly enough, I was one of the first people in the Quad Cities to watch this movie live as I was part of the screening event when working at the movie theater here in Davenport, as I think it was me and our local movie critic, Linda Cook, who are the uh, first in the Quad Cities to see that movie. Um, so I really like Miracle. It's one that I can watch. I try to be that oddly enough, I end up watching at least once a year. Just a great movie about the Olympic hockey team taking over, beating the Russians uh, in the Olympics for an unexpected uh, gold medal run that year. So next week, our... Um, this week's poll, which will go live shortly after I get off of air, will be Rocky Four against number as the number three seed taking on the number fourteen seed, the Water Boy, an Adam Sandler classic. So watch for that poll to go live on our page on uh, the Balls and Stick on the fans of Balls and Sticks, as well as a link to it on our regular Facebook page, Balls and Sticks, the podcast. If you're not um, and also probably on our, um, on our individual pages of Mike and I's. So make sure to watch for that and vote in this week's poll. So moving on in the show, we're going to go over to, into the NASCAR corner because we got some left turns coming up ahead. The NASCAR corner is presented as always by Triple I Sports Cards Incorporated out in East Moline. Make sure to check them out if you're in the Quad Cities um, if you're looking for to buy some uh, sports memorabilia or uh, sports cards. So this week, um, the guys were down in the were down in Martinsville for the Blue Emu Pain Relief Maximum Pain Relief 500. Your race winner was Martin Truex Jr., who becomes the circuit's first multiple race winner of the 2021 season. Um, our picks, how our picks did was Kyle Bush, Kyle Bush finished 10th, who was picked by Mike and my pick of Brad Keselowski came in 33rd after coming into getting into a bad wreck. 
seems to be a common theme this year of the drivers that I pick as um, with those finishes, Mike increases his lead over me to seven to one in our show uh, pick them for NASCAR. Over our, for our NASCAR shout out, Tony was the race winner this week amongst for points for Martinsville with 251 points. I came in second with 206. Solomon came in third with 135. And Mike, you brought up the rear this year, this week, with only 127 points. So for so make sure to um, put in your picks for the Toyota owners 400 down in Richmond, which will be on Sunday afternoon on Fox. So Mike. Um, I did end up talking to him via text before going on air today, and he gave me his pick, and he is picking Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick, and well, I'm going to go with Danny Hamlin. So our picks this week, once again, Denny Hamlin for me. Mike is going with Kevin Harvick. Tune in next week to find out how those picks did, and we will go ahead and exit the NASCAR corner and go over to baseball. So baseball, it was a rough week for the Chicago Cubs. It's, uh, that's where we will start in our baseball talk as they went one and five from show to show, and which brings their overall record to five and eight, putting them in last place and uh, tied for last place in the division. So going into next week, we're, they're going to have uh, two more against the Braves to finish out this weekend, three against the Mets, and then the Friday game against the Brewers. So the Cubs are at one and overall at five and eight. Why are they this bad? I certainly did not expect them to be this this bad, but... Yet a lot of it is leaning on how bad they are doing at the plate. So here's some numbers to consider here. 166 team batting average. Last in the league. 0.84 batting average with runners in scoring position. Which is the lowest average through 13 games since 2004. A .95 batting average in any situation when there are two outs, runners on, runners not on, doesn't matter. That's the lowest average through 13 games in over 45 years. And the, and the stats don't get better. 34% strikeout rate, 2.6 runs scored per game, which is also last in the league. And they've recorded five hits or less in eight games this year. And the last terrible stat that I have for you, 65 total hits through 13 games. 65 total hits through their first 13 games. And that's the lowest total since the 2003 Tigers, who went on to set a major league record for most losses in a season, which was 119 games. Things are not necessarily looking good for the Cubs. And while I said last week on the show, well, maybe it's, well, they're, the bats will warm up as soon as the weather gets warmer. That's obviously not happening. 
because the, the the weather is getting warmer and they're and they're not making it and that's not making a difference so the only thing that i can think of and i don't i i personally don't know how the cubs can get out of this get out of this funk i mean i don't know if it's going to take shaking up the batting order maybe shuffling people around to different spots in the batting order benching guys for to give them a mental day of rest but quite frankly, when your entire team is struggling as bad as they are up at the plate, it's you can't bench the entire team. There's not enough players on the roster to be able to bench everybody that's struggling. So about the only thing that Ross can probably do is just stick with it, keep running the guys out there, get them at bats, hopefully get them with... Uh, get them more time in the cage and with the hitting coaches, and hopefully things will turn around. Which I believe that they can, as technically, even though five and eight and one and five over this past week is a, isn't what we were expecting, they're still only two and a half games out in the, out in the division. So there's at least there's that hope that they can still make the playoffs. But you still have to think of the long term picture, which I think this front office is, and think that can even winning the division is that enough to keep this team together because as of this week's this kind of like this year's like hashtag theme for the team is cub together like well quite frankly if the team doesn't start hitting better and and getting and getting wins they're not going to be cubs together that much longer that much longer but on the flip side if the teams if the um if the hitters don't improve enough, there's not going to be much of a trade market out there for the hitters, for a lot of these hitters that are on one-year deals that that maybe the front office was hoping could be traded away to uh, to improve the team overall going forward. Guys like Rizzo, Bryant, Jock Patterson, Craig Krimbrell, any of the guys in the bullpen, Jake Arrieta, Zach Davies. If those guys aren't performing, then it's it's going to be hard to get a good return. So if you're not, so this could be, so while I'm still optimistic about this team and what where they could end up finishing in the, in the standings when the season is over, it could be worse than we thought if they not only finish as low as they do in the division, but if you can't get a good return for the guys on on those short-term deals that you were hoping to trade away then it makes this struggling at the plate even harder just you have to take below market deals to get something instead of relying on comp um, compensation picks that will come for those same players when they walk and aren't resigned next year so i'm i'm still holding out hope that the team can improve but obviously, with next week's schedule of getting finishing up with the Braves, the Mets, and then welcoming in the Brewers again, that it's gonna still be. I, I'm not expecting much this week. So hopefully, as the months as the season goes on, hopefully the bats improve and the record improves as well. However, with all those negative stats that i gave you the low batting average the strikeout rate the runs scored per games all being dead last in the league the cubs do lead the league in one thing 
and that is hit by pitches. Hits by pitches, and that is a wide, and um, according to manager David Ross, they lead the league in hits by pitches by quite a large margin as well. And speaking of hit by pitches, there was some controversy with that that led to some uh, suspensions to the Cubs po- coaching staff and also pitcher Ryan Tapara. As a David Ross and game planning coordinator, Mike Brazaro were each suspended one game and Ryan Tapara was, was suspended three games for intentionally throwing at Brewers pitcher Brandon Woodruff last week. And the situation was that um, Chapera was on the mound, Contreras was behind the plate, and they wanted to send a message drawing a line in the sand that enough is enough. As Chapera threw a pitch low and behind uh, the pitcher, Woodruff, who was coming up the bat in that inning to where it could have hit the back of his calf or his foot. And both benches got, both teams got warnings. And by the time the game was over, Woodruff, Bozzaro, and Ross were all suspended one game for those actions of in unintentionally or intentionally trying to hit a Brewers pitcher. Was the suspension correct or not is the question. And my opinion, and this is where I was hoping to have Mike's opinion as well. Maybe we'll get that next week. Uh, but for me, it's kind of a yes or a no. Yes and no. No, because there have been no actions taken against the Brewers for the amount of times that they've hit Wilson Contreras just this year. Just this year, which has been about three times, which is what David Ross was kind of confused about when he had his press conference on uh, on Friday before the Braves game. And talking about he doesn't think the the punishments kind of fit the crime. I mean, but on the other side, you have Brewers manager Craig Council who is saying that the that the punishment is not didn't go far enough because it doesn't accurately deter a team from a team from uh, deterring them from taking those actions on on retaliation. So, but my opinion of it is that I think it was too far but the team probably should have chosen somebody else to make that statement pitch to um doing it to a pitcher i think crosses the line maybe they maybe they do it to the catcher omar navias or um not sure who the other brewers catcher is but the catcher that was catching that day or the star player because i think that's even um I think it was Ron Coomer uh, made a comment in the game talking about how um, how it's a good thing Christian Yelich wasn't in the game because he probably would have had a bullseye um, a bullseye painted on him if he was stepping into the batter's box being the Brewers' predominant hitter. So I don't know. So if Yelich wasn't in the game and they chose to do another player, I'm not sure who that player would be. We could find out when the Brewers come up to come down to Wrigley Field uh, for their series next weekend. So three games for a pitcher for not even hitting the guy, but throwing it behind him. 
I think was a little much, and which is probably why Chapara decided to appeal the suspension. And so he has not served his suspension yet, but Ross and uh, Rosello have. Um, so that's what it is. So hopefully, I'm sure that the bad blood between Milwaukee and Chicago isn't over yet. So we'll probably, it's probably still going to be a wait and see between these two teams when they come back. Um, when they face off again this weekend uh, down in uh, down in Wrigley, but but sooner or later. But however, I did like what Ryan Tapera had to say about these suspensions and the incident, though. In response, as he was saying that this game has gone soft to where before matters used to be settled on the field. Settled on the field to where if you were tired of getting hit by pitches or there was retaliation, you made a statement pitch like that. Whether it's hitting another prominent player on the team that's of the same superstar level of the, your guy that's gotten hit multiple times or making a statement pitch like, like what they did to Brandon Woodruff just to draw the line, just to draw the line. So I can see why he's upset that this is just one of those unwritten rules of baseball that that they were strictly in for it, that they were looking to enforce of saying, you know what, enough's enough. You've got to quit hitting our player, whether it's close pitches that he could have done a better job of getting, getting out of the way of, or in or intentionally unintentionally uh like Contreras and also Jason Hayward said about it where eventually you got to draw the line in the shape draw the line in the sand then enough is enough and it would be shameless of us to not do something so uh, I'm glad to see that uh that teammates are sticking up for each other on the Cubs team and that even though it's not a great stat to lead the league in at least they're leading the league in something which is um for hits by pitches by the cubs but enough about the cubs there was there were a couple of other things in baseball to happen as uh victor carantini became the first catcher in mlb history to catch consecutive no hitters for two different teams as he caught the last no hitter that was thrown in the year 2020, which was uh, for Alec Mills. And he also caught the first no-hitter in 2021 when he caught Joe Musgrove's no-hitter uh, for San Diego last week, which we uh, forgot to mention on last week's show, and which also was San the San Diego Padres' first no-hitter in franchise history. And there was another no-hitter that was tossed this past week in between shows, which was done by Carlos Rondon of the Chicago White Sox. He becomes the first no-hitter in the American League this year. And it was darn near a perfect game as well as he took, as he threw a perfect game through eight and one-thirds innings, getting but lost the perfect game when he hit Indians catcher Roberto Perez, uh, but luckily he was able to hang on and complete the no-hitter. However, I did kind of have one little bit of a problem 
with the with the perfect game there. It was it was an it was an eight nothing Chicago lead in the in the ninth, and there was a close play at first base between um, close play at first base when uh, Jose Abreu fielded fielded the ground ball and did a got a bang bang play on at first base that was close. So what did the Indians do? They challenged the play on the field. And to me, that's almost got to be one of those newer, you'd think that that would almost be one of those unwritten rules of that would not have been the way that I would have wanted to break up a no-hitter if I were the Indians manager. So I didn't necessarily like that, like what the Indians did there. Um, but on the flip side, if the shoe is on the other foot and you're the team that's pitching the no-hitter or perfect game, I'm challenging that play every bit to not to try and get that no keep that no hitter intact. So there was fortunately there was no retaliation for that and the no hitter stayed intact even though the perfect game was lost uh, within with the next batter. So that's about all I have for the MLB. So the NFL big news that come out of the out of the NFL was Julian Edelman retired from the New England Patriots. Um, and the question that a lot of people raised with this is, is he a hall of famer? This is one that we'll probably have to keep on the outline to get Mike's opinion on, but mine, but my opinion is I don't think he is a hall of famer. He's, he was a guy that really doesn't have, I don't think he has the stats to be a hall of famer to really has the stats to be a to be a legitimate Hall of Famer as he had some injury problems of staying healthy. But the one thing that he was, he was a clutch performer and he has, I don't think a lot of the New England Super Bowls would have been won without without Edelman on the field. So while there's some speculation that uh, there was speculation on the, on the day of the Announcement: that, Oh, he's just announcing his retirement, and then he'll come out of retirement and go to go to uh, go down to Tampa and play one more year with uh, Tom Brady. I don't think that's that's going to be the case, as it was a very, very well done and probably helpful um, retirement message uh, from Julian Edelman, with him saying that I always said that I would play until the wheels fell off, and today is that day. So good on you, uh, Julian, for realizing when it when it's time to quit and, and walk away from the game before the game tells you that it's time to quit and before you get um, before there's a serious career ending injury that causes you to walk away uh, from the game. But probably more on that later, as uh, that'll probably be a topic of discussion with Mike uh, when he rejoins the show next week. So the top off the show this week, we have our quick hits as uh, we'll start with the Masters as Hideki Matsuyama won the Masters with a score of 10 under par and he becomes the first Japanese born men's player to win a major PGA tournament event. So while he, while I heard on um, the various sports shows that he almost blew the lead. This could have 
a really big impact on the sport of golf over in Asia and in Japan as having a major championship. So that could, so a lot of people compared it to Tiger Woods making it big in golf. So we'll have to see how that plays out as plays out going forward with golf. But uh, congratulations, Hideki, uh, for winning the Masters. So it'll be interesting to see also what the what the tournament of champions, uh, what the champions dinner at the Masters looks like next next year as well as the winner of the masters always gets to choose the menu for that event before the masters starts our next quick hit involves the minnesota timberwolves uh, which alex rodriguez and billionaire mark lore are buying the franchise as well as not only the the timberwolves but also the wnba's minnesota lynx for 1.5 billion dollars and they will take over the team in 2023 from current owner uh glenn taylor uh glenn uh the current owner wanted to keep the um kind of wanted to have a gradual transition as neither as neither rodriguez or lore uh have much experience in the nba in the nba so I think he wanted to, uh, the intent there was to gradually transition them to get them used to the inner workings of the league and then gradually transfer the transfer full ownership over to them in 2023. And they weren't the only team to get some ownership stake um, sold as uh, Dwayne Wade also bought a minority ownership stake in the Utah Jazz this week. So it's a... Uh, it's still not known how much of an ownership stake he has, but the NBA, but it will at least be 1% as the NBA does not allow ownership stakes to be below that level. Uh, but supposedly he is, he does want to be an active part of the Utah Jazz franchise. So probably more to come on that. And finally, we'll go ahead and wrap up this show with a story that came out of the University of North Texas as softball player Hope Tritwin tossed a perfect game for them. Now, this just wasn't a normal perfect game. This was a perfect game that involved 21 batters and 21 strikeouts. So no walks. Being a perfect game, obviously, there was no walks, no hits, um, no hits by pitchers, but there was, I mean, this was a situation where there were no balls put in the play. This was just her playing catch with her battery mate, with her battery mate. So that's really, that that's just phenomenal. I would, wow. I, I don't know if we'd ever see that in, in Major League Baseball or baseball in general, but it happened in college softball down in North Texas. So while it was a, so that is our show this week, a rather short show um, since there's nobody to debate with and banter back and forth with, uh, but we hope to have Mike back next week. Um, so um, so like always, make sure to, um, to vote in this week's poll question, uh, which once again is Rocky Four against the Waterboy, and you can find that poll over on our fan page which is fans of balls and sticks 
and also if you're listening to this episode over on 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 your podcast uh streaming site make sure to like and like and comment on us like and comment on the episode as well as if you're not already a already a a follower of our page on Facebook page make sure to go over to Facebook and uh and join us so you can be notified of our live episodes uh airing over on Facebook live as well as on our polls of when they go live uh, so we have no shout-outs to give this week as nobody commented on this quick, short episode, which is going to be under 30 minutes. Uh, but um, but as always, if you do comment on our fu- on any future episodes we or on our polls, we will make sure to share those on our on next week's episode. So uh, thank you very much for joining us this week on Balls and Sticks the podcast, and we will talk at you next week.